This is the Pretzel Podcast, a podcast about pretzels. We take you now to the International Pretzel Command Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Welcome to another episode of the Pretzel Podcast. I'm Mitch Tyke, And I'm Michelle Maternowski. Once again, your pretzel guides to pretzel culture, pretzel history, pretzel lore, pretzel taste, anything else? Pretzel, pretzel gods. Pretzel gods. Pretzel of God. Oh, pretzel gods. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now you're flashing forward to later in the episode. A little sneak preview for yes, you all. Yes, pretzel gods or pretzel false idols. Mm, yeah. Mm. So we have a, a pretty interesting episode ahead of us today. At least we think so. I, it's, I, I think uh, empirically it's an interesting episode. We're patting ourselves on the back already, and we haven't even recorded it. Maybe we should do the less interesting stuff first, right? No. Um, uh, actually, we, some other interesting pretzel stuff before we even get Let's say get the word to. interesting some more. Okay. <laughs> Interestingly enough, a couple episodes ago, we talked about my experiment making German New Year's pretzels uh, at home on New Year's and the challenges uh, that were involved in it. And these were kind of a uh, sweet pastry that Germans make either New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. They have pennies inside them. If you find a penny, it's supposed to be good luck for the rest of the year. And if you survived eating our German New Year's pretzel, it was probably good luck as well. So my husband decided to make a little bit more of a traditional pretzel that didn't include pennies on the inside of <laughs> Fortunately. <laughs> and your husband is a somewhat more advanced uh, baker he than I am. He is a chef, but he also loves to bake bread and has been doing this thing on Sundays where he, he bakes a different loaf of bread every Sunday. Um, so he decided to tackle the pretzel and ordered some lye off of Amazon, which we store <laughs> very safely in our house. And he made... The, the traditional soft crossed arms pretzel as well as a pretzel that I fell in love with at our local bakery where they put cheddar cheese inside of it when they bake it. And it's inside and it's got a kind of a crust too, right? It's so delicious and they haven't made it for a really long time. So Mike figured out how to make it at home. And I had never had the original, but then you delivered the uh, the cheddar one. You never had. I had never had the uh, the cheddar one from okay. this bakery that uh, is near both of our houses. Um, and so, anyway, uh, how much of a challenge was it for him? He should be here. Uh, yeah, I, I can't but. really go through all of his steps, but there it took it took time and do a certain thing and let it proof for an hour or whatever, and then shape it and then let it sit for another hour and then soak it in the lye, dip it in the lye, I think, for like five seconds and then let it sit for another. So it was had a whole involved. Had he ever worked involved. with lye before? No, I think that was that was the first time I had to go to Walgreens and buy some gloves for him just to, to be safe. I don't know what would happen if we just touched it. But, yeah. um, and there was a prototype. He tried it and then tried it again a week or two later, right? Yeah. Um, I think both batches turned out pretty well. But the second one was when he made the two different kinds. Um, and the the ones that were like fresh out of the oven, so warm, were very, very delicious. And so you brought over one of each uh, to share. And I have to say, I'm not always a, a cheese, you know, melted cheese mm -hmm. on stuff fan. Uh, but the cheese, the cheddar pretzel was delicious. Right? It, was, it was really tasty. They go together so well. And I don't know what kind of cheddar cheese he used, and maybe part of it is, you know, you go to some places and they use kind of a low-quality cheese, mm, but I this think was he, delicious. 
Yeah, I think we, we it was our better cheddar. <laughs> it was like a three-year-aged cheddar from some local cheese shop. So it, was, it wasn't just like shredded cheese sprinkled on top. Um, this is definitely this is definitely an advanced baking uh, challenge, but I was impressed both at the uh, shape he was able to create. I actually helped make them because I'm like, well, this is what I learned from the Milwaukee Pretzel Company. <laughs> so um, it was fun, and I definitely encourage him to do it again in the future. Was it an afternoon-long kind of experience? I don't know how early he started. I was only involved with the shaping. So to me, it was like, oh, yeah, they're already ready. <laughs> but it's not like he's going to come home from work and uh, I think no, I'll whip yeah, up some pretzels tonight. No, yeah, it's definitely like uh, it's more involved. and You have to set lots of timers. So. so the other pretzel bit of note from the last week, you'll recall the last episode we had a pretzel memory that was shared by a friend of mine from high school. Mm-hmm. Um, she grew up in the Philadelphia area. Maybe we'll play a little clip of tape from that right now. I went to Dean Newland Fell Elementary School in South Philadelphia. And at every single recess, we had one of the street vendors you just mentioned who would come to our gate and would sell those hot pretzels, you know, in that long eight-shaped pretzel. And they were 10 cents, and we would all line up, and he would serve them right out of that I guess it's some kind of warmer, um, (laughs) with yellow mustard, uh, and they were fantastic. We both are amazed at the idea that there were people that sold pretzels at the the gates to the schoolyard. You found some pretty amazing photos online. Yeah, so this has apparently been going on forever, and there are archival photos from historical websites in Philadelphia, like the Encyclopedia of Philadelphia stuff, that show lines of people waiting for pretzels outside of high school in like the 1930s. It's amazing. Uh, and you think of it as this thing that must have gone on a long time ago, and we were talking about with uh, with my friend Beth Ann, we were talking about it from uh, the 1980s, and re- it real- I realized that I have another friend who grew up outside of Philadelphia, I think like an hour outside of Philadelphia, and he confirms that this happened in his small town in Pennsylvania as well, and he posted it to his Facebook page, and all of a sudden, like, all released the floodgates, <laughs> yeah. And these people don't know that they're being quoted on the Pretzel Podcast, but I printed out some of the comments that uh, he got on his Facebook post of this. And some of the people were just remembering how inexpensive pretzels were growing up in the Philadelphia area. There's somebody that talks about going to Philadelphia Phillies games in the 80s where they would buy four or five pretzels for a dollar outside Veterans Stadium uh, after the Phillies usually lost. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But lots of people with these memories of buying pretzels at school for like a nickel or a dime. It's amazing. Just that, the, yeah, it's so widespread. And uh, we totally missed out. Yeah. Not, not, a, I mean, I grew up not that far away from Philadelphia in Maryland, and it was definitely not something there and, and clearly not something in Wisconsin. Somebody wrote that their dad used to deliver pretzels to the schools, and years later, her first job was teaching kindergarten in a Catholic school and had to collect the pretzel money <laughs> every day, and then the pretzels would be delivered to her classroom in a canvas bag. Can like, you imagine? <laughs> I like this one that they were they got them during morning recess and they were frozen and then by the time they ate them they still were a bit frozen. 
And somebody else who talks about the dimeless days watching in envy as the wealthy kids enjoyed their cold, damp oh, piece of heaven. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, apparently a lot of people have the memory of not quite defrosted pretzels at recess. <laughs> and then somebody else, they're selling pretzels to raise money still to this day to defray the cost for students to travel abroad every year. Two for oh, a dollar. Man. That's uh, amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, and you know what else is amazing? Pretzels for God. All right, so this is Pretzels in the News. Pretzels in the News. So my my Google Pretzel alert has gone a little crazy over the last week, starting with the original post, uh, and then a number of websites have either linked to it or reposted it themselves. Uh, but Gastro Obscura, which, as we found out, is the food version of Atlas Obscura, uh, did an article about... Pretzels. And, and and specifically? For God. Pretzels for God. <laughs> PFG to people in the know. <laughs> yeah, right. Very common acronym. <laughs> uh, and appropriately enough, because Lent is about to start here, and apparently pretzels were a Lent thing for a good long while back in the 1970s. And we uh, talked to a very knowledgeable person about this. The recovering uh, anthropologist, <laughs> uh, Shoshi Parks, we reached her via Skype from uh, the Bay Area, this being the second episode of the Pretzel Podcast in a row where we have a Bay Area guest. Mm. Um, Shoshi Parks, welcome to the Pretzel Podcast. Thanks for having me. So what in the world was Pretzels for God? <laughs> <laughs> so Pretzels for God was a religious movement that took place in the mid-70s, um, came out of a Catholic parish in Arizona, in Phoenix, um, and it was an attempt to uh, draw people into uh, Catholicism and into um, the need to redevelop or continue to develop prayer and penance within the younger generation uh, by attempting to tie religion, Catholicism, to a symbol that was fun and edible. So that's, that's where it originated. So what was going on in the Catholic Church at this time that made this happen? Yeah, good question. So there were a lot of changes going on in the Catholic Church around the 1970s. Um, this was a period of time when a lot of parishioners began to defect from the church. Um, there was a growing uh, movement towards secularism in the U.S. And in the 70s is when we start to see sort of large segments of folks who considered themselves Catholic um, sort of stepping away from the religion. So the Catholic Church was at a, a bit of a crisis, not just because of that, but also for reasons that had more to do with changes within the church, um, such as, for example, um, the shift from conducting mass solely in Latin to conducting it in colloquial languages, uh, which a lot of sort of hardline Catholics did not particularly favor. They felt to some extent like they were losing the, or at least from, from what I understand, they they under, they felt to some extent like they were losing um, the sort of righteousness of the church um, as it was becoming more uh, sort of uh, less ethereal and more kind of down to earth. And that was not something that those who really felt that the institution was a representation of the ethereal um, should be doing. 
Well, and, and it sounds like there was one woman who was really at the heart or the, the, the genesis of the effort. Um, tell us a little bit about Maureen McCauley and, and what her calling apparently was. Yeah. So Maureen McCauley, um, she has a, an interesting background. She began um, her, I guess, professional life, you could say, as an actress and as a circus performer. Do you know what her act was in the circus? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I wish I wish I could find that out, but I haven't been able to, <laughs> to discover anything about that. Um, I, she apparently wasn't in the circus for too long, so um, I don't think it was anything, you know, super skilled. Um, but she did, you know, perform in the circus. And um, at that time, I, apparently she was living in uh, the Boston area, and then at some point met a man and moved to Phoenix. And she was always a very devout Catholic, but apparently, you know, she decided that she wanted to become more involved in um, sort of drawing people into the church and um, making sure that um, those who were involved in the church were really giving it um that were really uh, involved in in understanding prayer and penance and, and what that meant you know, what religion was really meant for. So did this movement, Pretzels for God, did it, it kind of caught on a bit, right? Yeah, very interestingly, <laughs> it became kind of, um, uh, it became kind of all the rage for some short period of time. Um, we're not exactly sure, just there, there doesn't seem to be any documentation about um, things after their initial year. Um, so we're not entirely sure when the whole thing kind of fell apart. But during that first year, um, the movement did catch um, some pretty good press. They, there were, you know, newspaper was newspaper coverage on it from everywhere from, you know, the East Coast to the Midwest. Um, and of course, in the in the Southwest as well. She also got some interest from what was then a, an institution called the National Pretzel Bakers Institute, which was a trade organization that was sort of a mid mid century organization. It, it's it kind of fell apart in the in the eighties, but they also took notice of what she was doing and allowed her at their um, convention in. 1974, I believe it was. Um, so so it, it became more than just sort of a, a religious movement. Um, it also even got back to kind of the pretzel men as well. It's kind of like a marketing movement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly that seems to be how the National Pretzel Bakers Institute was looking at it um, as, you know, this is a way to sell more pretzels. <laughs> yeah. But but what worked for them, I gather, is, you know, it, this effort took as gospel, uh, if I can use an appropriate pun, um, the origin. Oh. Yes, thank you. Um, the the origin story that's repeated a lot about the pretzel that it, that it was monks that came up with this design and it represented praying arms and the Holy Trinity and this started back in the sixth century. So the story goes. That's right. Yeah. So the sort of classic story is that the pretzel itself is a religious symbol, a religious object, and specifically a Catholic or a Christian religious object that was devised initially by a monk sometime around the 6th century who uh, created it using a little bit of sort of leftover dough from whatever other bread he might have been baking at the time and, um, you know, made this funny little twisty shape and um, did so supposedly to represent 
the the look of arms crossed in prayer, which used to be sort of, I guess, the, the Catholic, uh, the way to pray was not two hands in front of the face as, we, as it's done today, but two arms across the chest, sort of with the hands at the shoulders. So um, in the same kind of shape as a pretzel. Um, and then the three holes that the crossed arms made were to represent the Holy Trinity. And he gave these out as um, rewards to his students at the monastery um, for completing their religious studies and for doing their uh, saying their prayers. Um, so that's where the, the story comes from originally, or at least that's the original myth. Right. And, and it seems like a believable story, especially when you find that there's, what, an 11th century painting of the Last Supper that has a pretzel in it. Yeah, it does begin to show up. Um, the pretzel begins to show up all over uh, sort of medieval religious uh, documentation um, in a handful of paintings. Like there's a painting of the Last Supper um, with uh, a pretzel in it. You know, there are um, various sort of like stained glass windows and, you know, that kind of thing with with pretzels in them. Um, so it, it did at some point, even though uh, there's good evidence to suggest that the origin story is a myth, um, <laughs> it was then really worked into religious symbolism as time passed. Um, but there was at least a good five, six centuries in between when the supposed you know pretzel was developed by this monk and when it begins to show up in medieval um, imagery. And what this imagery does not show is whether the disciples were into dipping sauces or mustard or anything like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I forgot who we talked to on the podcast, but we were what you were calling a myth was kind of <laughs> our truth uh, for how the, the pretzel was developed. But you actually talked to a historian who knows pretzels pretty well. Did he share wh how he believes and when he believes the pretzel was developed? Yeah, so there's this uh, food historian, his name is William Weiss Weaver, and he's written a lot about his specialty, sort of um, Americana food, but specifically Pennsylvania Dutch food. Mm. And so you can see that there is a connection yeah. there with pretzels, because the Pennsylvania Dutch were the first to bring the pretzel to the United States. Um, and so that's how he became interested in pretzels. And the more sort of he, he delved into the story, the more he found that the idea that this monk created the pretzel back in the sixth century was actually fabricated. There was no indication that this myth existed until prior to prohibition sometime in the 20s. Um, and his belief is that this origin story appeared as a way to, um, again, market the pretzel, um, because at the time, prior to Prohibition, it had really become associated with being eaten in taverns and bars as sort of a, a bar snack, you know, along with your ale or with your beer. And apparently the, the pretzel people wanted to, you know, those who were baking and selling pretzels really wanted to divorce the image, the food from from this uh, sort of un unholy, you know, image of, of being associated with, um, with drinking. So that appears to be when the um, when the myth uh, originated. <laughs> so they just uh, made up the story. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they actually supposedly just made. I mean, that's so, what he yeah. believes, at least. Um, and then there is, you know, evidence that in um, back to the National Pretzel Bakers Institute, the same place that Marie McCauley spoke at in the 70s with her um, Pretzels for God movement, 
they apparently really took this myth and ran with it um, mid-century, did a whole bunch of promotion, including television spots that included like little, um, you know, statuettes of pretzels and monks um, that they, you know, they really wanted to push this image of the pretzel being, you know, sort of a holy food. but, you know, according to, to Weaver, there is quite a bit of evidence that the pretzel actually existed prior to even the advent of Christianity. And he actually, I just got a note from him the other day that he said that he's um, discovered some archaeological evidence in his recent research um, that points to its um origination, you know, prior to the, the monk story in, in the sixth century. I'm just picturing a, like a a dinosaur being unearthed a fossil <laughs> and next to it is like the fossil of a pretzel. <laughs> um, you know, there is actually a fossilized pretzel that what? dates to like the 18th century that somebody found. Yeah. Oh my it's gosh. Like, it's, it was found in a charred building. Um, so it's the oldest surviving pretzel. <laughs> That's amazing. Century, we we yeah. have, we have tried some pretzels mm-hmm. on this podcast that, uh, that, that may as well have been fossilized. They are so hard. <laughs> <laughs> how how did you run across this phenomenon? I was actually researching a story for NPR about um, a the snack food industry in Hanover, Pennsylvania, and uh, sort of ran across this this random story about Miss Maureen McCauley and Pretzels for God, and thought, my God, what a weird what a weird story, yeah. and really just kind of went down that hole um, and. Atlas Obscura, God bless them, you know, for, for doing all sorts of weird stories. They, they were interested in, in picking it up. So will we be hearing a pretzel story well, from you on NPR? Uh, it's, a, it, it's for their website. It's for the, okay. um, the salts, their, oh. um, their sort of food or, you know, food-oriented um, written site blog, I guess you could call it. We, we have talked on this show just trying to imagine what Main Street in Hanover, Pennsylvania must be like and whether you can smell the pretzels baking <laughs> over the, you know, wafting over the town. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, I was there in the winter and I, I couldn't <laughs> smell any, but maybe in the summer when it gets hot, you know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's just pretzel land. So are you yourself a pretzel eater? You know, it's uh, sort of funny. I'm not a huge fan of the pretzel, <laughs> mm. um, but I'm a like... huge fan of food history, and okay. that's uh, that's sort of what got me here. Well, maybe we can recommend some pretzels for you to to change that. Yeah, my boyfriend thinks I'm a terrible person because he grew up in Hanover and oh, loves pretzels, yeah. and so I uh, <laughs> yeah. So okay. I'm I'm uh, you know I need to be brought into the fold. Okay. Yeah, you need to join Pretzels for God yourself. <laughs> you need to. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yes. But it, what's interesting is it, is it sounds like in the end that uh, the pretzels are not so much a holy food as they are a food with holes in it. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, you don't have to laugh. (laughs) Just encourages me. (laughs) Um, There's one other thing that I really liked in the article that I wanted to mention. It was the Ash Wednesday prayer, pretzel prayer. Do you have Mm, that in front of you? And could you read it to us? Okay. All right. I'll read the good part. Um, Okay. We beg you, O Lord, to bless these breads, which are to remind us that Lent is a sacred season of penance and prayer. For this very reason, the early Christians started the custom of making these breads in the form of arms crossed in prayer. Thus they kept the holy purpose of Lent alive in their hearts from day to day, increased their souls, the love, increased in their souls the love of Christ, even unto death if necessary. 
and then, oh wait, sorry, there's one last line. Here we go. Grant us, we pray, that we too may be reminded by the daily sight of these pretzels to observe the holy season of Lent with true devotion and great spiritual fruit. Just, there you go. Pretzels for God. Pretzels for God. Well, uh, this was great. Well, listen, Shoshi Parks, uh, thank you so much for sharing this story with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was writer Shoshi Parks, who joined us uh, from her home in the Bay Area. Uh, She's a former anthropologist who is now a freelance writer, and we learned all about pretzels for God. Unbelievable. There's just so much about pretzels to learn. Like, it just never ends. And how long have we been repeating that old trope about uh, pretzels being— Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because remember, at the heart of pretzels is lie. That makes you want to eat some pretzels. (laughs) Didn't didn't know that it was a lie. So it's just about crunch time here, uh, but we, uh, we're going to take a break and remind you how to get a hold of the Pretzel Podcast and suggest your very own pretzel stories or pretzels that we should try. Here is the disembodied voice of the Pretzel Podcast. Take it away, Sarah Dabrowski. We'd like to hear from you. Tell us about pretzels you've eaten, pretzels you'd like to eat, or your earliest pretzel memory. Send us an email at pretzelpodcast at gmail.com or reach us on social media by visiting Pretzel Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks, Sarah. (laughs) Should we dig into these pretzels that we have for crunch time? It is crunch time, and uh, we should start with the ones that actually might have a nice link to pretzels for God. Okay. So we have uh, Unique, which is a a favorite of ours, and they have these special pretzels that came out, uh, sourdough craft beer pretzel rings, classic PA Dutch sourdough recipe. And so apparently uh, Pretzel is no longer trying to rehabilitate their image as being affiliated with beer. As um, Shoshi Parks pointed out, there was that time during Prohibition where they were trying to distance themselves from kind of the tavern thing. These have craft beer in the name. Going back to the roots, uh, they have malted barley and hops in them. So that's where the, the beer comes in. And you'll recall we did a we, we tasted a beer and cheese pretzel way back uh, in an early they episode. They, they were stale, right? They were stale. Okay. They were they, they didn't taste like anything. Um, so hopefully these are an improvement. Unique we've tried before, but we've tried their splits. And one of the one of we the unique them. aspects of unique pretzels was the the kind of strange texture that the splits have. Um, and we do both quite love them. Uh, these are ring shaped. Kind of more of an oval if you yeah. ask me. Yeah. Uh, the Unique's kind of slogan is more flavor, fewer ingredients, better baking. So we'll see how how much we like these. All right. You ready? Yep. Mm. I took too big of a bite. <laughs> <laughs> Texture is pretty good. It's dry as a pretzel normally is. Still chewing. <laughs> I mean, I, I get a little bit of the the hops taste. Yeah, at the end. Yeah, yeah, very much at the end. I, you know, I'm not a beer drinker. Me Sorry to turn neither. everybody off who is a big beer drinker. Um, we like it... to drink water and iced coffee with our pretzels. <laughs> but there's an essence of beer that comes through in this. I don't know. I'm not really tasting the sourdough. Are you? 
I think it's the hops that I'm really tasting. Uh, maybe if they're better if you like beer and if you're drinking a beer while you're eating. Right. Maybe them. the maybe they would be an, a good accompaniment. There's a little bit of a bitter taste to them, mm-hmm. which may be the the barley or the hops. Um, Not knowing enough about either yeah. of those ingredients. <laughs> I can't say that. You know, they're not bad, but I, I suspect you might be right. These might be a perfect accompaniment to a beer, um, but as far as an accompaniment to iced coffee or water, mm, yeah, not all that excited. They definitely don't have the, the – the, I think the, the texture to the typical unique pretzel is one of the appeals to it, and, and this does not have that. I think I really like the, um, the pretzel and the, the hardness. But I don't like that it's the beer pretzel. So if they took out those extra ingredients, I think I'd really <laughs> like these pretzels. <laughs> uh, I bought these at uh, my local Meyer store. Okay. I have not yet seen them at our, our local, local grocery store. And, I, you know, I will say very short ingredient list, unbleached wheat flour, sunflower oil, malted barley, salt, soda, yeast, and hops. So um, if you like beer, you'll, you'll probably like these and give a better review of them than we do. Um, but yes, as far as our, our tastes go, not all that great. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming they're like a limited special edition And certainly pretzel. better than some of the pretzels that we have had. Yeah. We do love unique, just not these. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and these, they do live up to the term unique because I don't know that I have tried anything that tastes quite like that. True. And then on the other um, hand, and now, we have a um, yes. generic pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a pretzel that we could find almost no information about, including well, where in the world I got these. Yeah, we don't remember. Uh, they they might be a little bit stale because the expiration date is <laughs> December. It's an unopened bag, though. <laughs> um, they're called snack favorites, snack without a C, <laughs> because because why not? They spell favorites right, don't they? True and. All lowercase for favorites. Huh. So, uh, I guess we'll be the judge of whether they're our favorites. <laughs> right. uh, they are sourdough pretzel logs, uh, fat-free written in big text on the bag, which is normal for a pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> um, they don't even know where they're made, right? They were distributed by— They're packed for Mayfair Sales, Inc., we don't know who packed them. Um, <laughs> Mayfair Sales Inc. is in Buffalo, New York. Couldn't really find much information about them. I suppose it's possible I brought these back from upstate New York and I've forgotten about them. But I thought we tried all the pretzels I brought back from upstate New York. And maybe we've tried these pretzels before and they just have a different name on the packaging. Yeah. Who knows? Um I did find a website (laughs) (laughs) called taquitos.com, and they describe themselves as being serious about snacks, and they write different reviews about pretzels (laughs) (laughs) and and other snack foods. And they tried the pretzel sticks on that website, and for their smell test, they said it smells like a typical pretzel. So that's (laughs) exciting. (laughs) Well, let's see if it lives up to that. (laughs) Does this... Smell like a typical pretzel. I'm gonna stick my nose right in the bag. It doesn't really. I don't it's not know. A, not a great, not a great smell no. in the bag there. I wouldn't say that's a typical pretzel smell. No, I, I enjoy a typical pretzel smell more than I enjoyed that smell. Uh, it's like a size of a finger, <laughs> right? Right. Maybe not quite the length of. It's it's shorter than my finger, but not a Michelle-sized finger. There you go. Very shiny. 
I'm afraid to try it. Salt to dough ratio, not too bad. It's definitely stale. <laughs> Tastes like a pretzel stick, yeah. but it's shorter. It has a weird aftertaste. Yeah, it's... You know, I think the word typical um, actually is a is a very, you know, it's a it's a very generic would, pretzel. On the lower end yes. of the generic pretzels. Right. If we were we and we've not <laughs> used a, a zero to ten rating in the past. Um, <laughs> Below average typical pretzel. Like three and a half to four, right? Mm. Out of ten, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I uh, I wouldn't buy them if I were you and get something else. Not helped by the fact that they are three months old. True. But even if they weren't, hard to imagine that they'd be much better if they had come straight out of the uh, factory, though. <laughs> and wherever they were created, right, exactly. we just know where they are packed. <laughs> uh, so out of these two, I'd probably give the nod, uh, certainly for freshness and for um, <laughs> maybe flavor profile to uh, to the sourdough. Even though we didn't rings. love them, they're they're way better than our snack favorite. <laughs> and none of them is nearly as interesting as pretzels for God. Yeah, that's hard to top, really. So uh, if you are uh, going into the Lenten season and looking for a pretzel, uh, we highly encourage you to find something interesting and uh, be sure to say the uh, Ash Wednesday pretzel prayer before you eat it. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very important. <laughs> yeah. Or can you request the prayer at... Church? You go to church. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like to throw out a request. Do the Ash Wednesday pretzel prayer. Perhaps we should be asking the Reverend Sean these questions. That is Even though he is not a Catholic priest. Uh. <laughs> he should, he should, for all things religion, he should have the answer. <laughs> uh, so that is uh, all for this episode of the Pretzel Podcast. Thanking Shoshi Parks for her expertise and uh, all of you for listening. And if you have any pretzel information to share with us you can get in touch with us on instagram on twitter and our gmail pretzel podcast also we'd love it if you became the next subscriber to the pretzel podcast you can do that at apple podcasts or at npr one or stitcher or really kind of wherever you get your podcasts right exactly all right i'm mitch and i'm michelle and uh i don't know go out and eat some interesting pretzels From Pretzel World Headquarters, this has been an episode of the Pretzel Podcast, a production of National Pretzel Radio.